Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. All right, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Meet me over in Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. First verse. I don't know why I'm waiting because nobody has real Bibles anymore, but... We'll pretend. Luke chapter 21, verse 1. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all of the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus. But uh, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. What we've been endeavoring to do in this series, Timeless, is look at, uh, the, look at the concept, the idea of eternity, of what, what lies ahead. What we've been doing is we've been exploring different concepts and understanding that there's different timeless traits that are emerging all throughout Scripture that talk about not only this life, but the next life. What, we, what we've come to learn is that when we only focus on this life and we look at the promises of God only in the context of this lifetime, we actually begin to marginalize and trivialize the work and ministry of Jesus Christ. Because in a best-case scenario, if we're only looking at this lifetime, then, then Jesus is really only good. What he did on the cross was really only good for about 80 years of, of decent living. But his promises and his truth don't just stop at the end of our lifetime. They continue into infinity, which is unbelievable thought because Jesus himself has no beginning. He has no start point, he has no end point, and then he invites us into the, I was going to say into the adventure of a lifetime, but it's not one lifetime, it's lifetime times uh, however many infinity is. And he says, why don't you come and take this journey with me? But that being said, there are things that we can do in this earth that help to determine uh, what our life is like on the other side. And if you don't like that idea, then that's fine. We just don't like the Bible. And you can go back and re-listen to the messages and pick up the timeless traits. Today I'm calling my message, if you're taking notes, make it rain. Make it rain. So I... Uh, you know, in a, in a trendy world, I don't want li- to build my life on things that are trends, like passing trends. Like, let's be honest, this pink sweater is not going to be awesome in three months. Like, in three, like, right now, some of you are still on the fence about it, but in, like, I'm, you know, in three months, you're like, nah, <laughs> what were you thinking? Uh, the same thing is true with my yearbook photo from 2004. You can't see it, but that hair wasn't good then, and it's not good now, and, uh, but hey, that's just a simple gift. We can't build our life on that, thank God. Thank God we're not stuck. Oh, actually, maybe I should go back there. But anyways, we want to build our life on something that lasts, not just a trend. We want to build our life on the timeless traits and truths that are found in Jesus, that are found in Scripture. I mean, if only he wrote us a manual or some instructions or if he just left us a quick note about how to live our best life now and into eternity. Oh, wait, he did. It's called the Bible. Matthew 6. The way that we invest in this earth actually has an outcome in the next. Do not 
or don't, don't, do not, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. So the question today is, really two questions. What am I investing in in the here and now, number one, and number two, how do I invest for eternity? How do I invest for eternity? There's a, a famous portion of scripture, Malachi chapter three. Why don't we take a look at this? If you've ever been in church for any length of time, you know this one. I'm gonna just gonna kill this fog machine quickly here because while the glory of the Lord uh, is here, he's not found in the fog at the moment. Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? How are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. If you've got an old-fashioned paper Bible like me, you can just underline, test me in this. Otherwise, good luck to you. Says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So in this context, God is speaking to the nation of Israel who have kind of drifted away from, his, his, from him, from his principles, from relationship with him. And while doing that, they kind of did it unknowingly. Some of them definitely did it by choice, but many because of generations in the time that had passed, the teachings had been taught down. They did it in a somewhat innocent fashion. Some of them who knew and understood the scripture did it out of blatant rebellion, decided, hey, I'm not going to do this thing. I'm not going to go this way. Others just did not know, and they did not know that they were, in fact, robbing themselves of an opportunity for God to bring blessing in their life. That answer the question, how do we invest for eternity? We invest into the kingdom of of God. Because every time we invest into the kingdom of God, we're actually investing not only into natural things. Now, let's be honest. When, when I was a kid, okay, I literally, I grew up in church, and the, the, us, the ushers in the nice suits, which we don't have, not that people don't have nice suits, we just don't have ushers that walk down the aisle and look intimidating, with the big baskets would walk down, pass it by, everyone would put their money in the offering plate, and then my parents always told me that the money like, would go to God. So what I assumed would happen, because I like Star Trek as a young man, uh, into current modern day, I would, I just assumed that the ushers would take it to the back lobby and that they would stand out in the lobby and say, here God, and then the money would just get beamed up into heaven because that made the most amount of perfect sense. If God was, the money was for him, so then let's just like take it to the back and he would just teleport into heaven. He teleported people in the Bible. I just assumed the transaction would be happening the exact same way. And that's why they had to wear nice suits because you might run into God while you're teleporting, transporting the offering up into heaven. And that's why you had a basket because it looked like the transporter thing from Star Trek. Just everything made perfect sense. And then you realize that there's a natural component to our spiritual lives. You realize that there's buildings and there's 
power and heat. All the last two weeks, they've been trying to fix our overhead unit in here now. I feel like today they've overcompensated, but maybe that's just me in this glorious pink sweater. I don't know, but there's a natural component to our spiritual lives, and, and, and what can happen is that we can become spiritually delusioned by natural outcomes. And it breeds in us a discontent, and it breeds in us a desire to distance or pull ourselves away from a spiritual practice because somebody abused the natural resource that's attached to my spiritual practice. And so what we end up doing is we say, God, I'm not, I'm not giving anything anywhere because I can't trust people. Now, you're not going to like me for saying this, but I'm already here, and I talked about hell last week, so I feel like I'm just on a roll, and I might as well just go for it. The honest, if you really want to, my, my, my best understanding on Scripture is that it actually does not matter what happens to the money that I give. If I give and I invest into the kingdom of God, and I do it with pure hands and a clean heart, and I come and I offer it, I bring my tithe, and I give my offering, and it does not matter what happens because I have fulfilled what is placed in my heart and was placed in Scripture for God to now come and open up the gates of heaven and blessing in my life. Now, I don't do it for blessing. I'm just aware that if I invite Jesus into every area of my life, it becomes infinitely better than if I control and hold off certain areas in my life. Especially if I'm not good with money, then the best thing that I could do is invite Jesus into that area and give him control, and give him wisdom, and give him some discretion, and say, listen, I, I've tried it my way, and I can tell you, not going well. <laughs> Why don't we try it your way? Now, people, I'm aware that we don't like to talk about this subject, but I don't understand really why we get touchy about it. Money makes the world go round. What we say is things like, well, the church just wants to take my money. But what I've never, ever heard someone say is like, you know what, Visa just wants to take my money. No, that's just a tool. That's a tool for me. And if I use it responsibly, then it's a tool for me. But no one ever says Visa just wants to take my money. Nobody ever walks into Starbucks and says, Starbucks just wants to take my money. They do in the worst possible way. They want to extract every last dollar. Do not get the app. They've targeted you. They know your trends. You will spend more money. That's what they want to do. But nobody says Starbucks wants to take my money. They say, no, Starbucks wants to give me coffee. Nobody walks into Home Depot and says, you know what Home Depot wants to do? They want to take all my money. Home Depot wants to take all your money. They want to take it all. They say, no, that's my place where I go, where I can build something, where I can make something great. It feeds my creativity. It feeds your creativity while extracting the money out of your pocket. Making somebody else a shareholder somewhere else rich. The reality is though you may not like big business, we like the convenience or the idea of it. We don't like the idea that somebody else, namely the Walton family, is mind-bogglingly rich. But we like to get things for 97 cents. And so we continue to go, but we never utter the words, Walmart just wants to take my money. We're like, no, Walmart, take all my money. We do it in the opposite. So why is it then that when we look at Scripture and we look at God, we say, you know what? The church just wants to take my money. No, I don't want to take something from you. I want something for you. 
I don't want something from you. I want something for you. Notice in Malachi chapter 3, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you're under a curse because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food again. Test me in this. You say, well, I had no idea. Well, I must apologize, now you know. <laughs> There's a level of awareness here now with the scripture of God that God brings in. He, that There's a principle that exists called the tithe. And I, in your notes, I, I've, I've given a bunch of extra supporting verses. And if I can be really honest, that it's, I'm very literally scratching the very surface. If you want to learn more about what we believe in giving, then in next we actually talk about it in, in the course. And I'm always happy to talk about it any moment uh, because I believe the Bible is abundantly clear about giving and giving of a generous heart. Now I'm going to say this as a giant asterisk. Uh, what happens is people say, well, tithing, the idea of tithing is an Old Testament concept. And you're right, that's true. It, it initiates in the Old Testament. But as we know from Romans 15, 4, that the whole Old Testament is for our learning. And when God sets a principle into place, if he does not intentionally stop it, then it means the principle still exists in this earth, a la gravity. That initiated in the Old Testament. But because we're in the New Testament, the new, in the New Covenant, we're not like, oh man, you know what stopped existing? gravity because of Jesus and he came and changed everything. No, when he sets a pillar, a foundational pillar in this earth, it still carries on and carries forward. It doesn't stop. And so this idea of a tithe or a tenth, the ten percent, comes from God himself, an encounter in the Old Testament, and it's continued on and affirmed by Jesus Christ himself. The opening scripture we read in Luke chapter 21 when a widow brings but a couple coins. She was actually giving in a plate called the Women's Gate, and there was these giant trumpet-like things that people would give offerings into, which is kind of a crazy thing. They would have these big uh, gold kind of receptacles that looked like trumpets. Maybe we could get a few of those in here, uh, real just big gold things. Uh, that would not raise any red flags. And... Um, People would go, and they, were all, they would go to different ones to give towards different things. And, and Jesus and his, his guys, the boys, were just sitting up uh, on the side because this was also an area where everyone could gather and where Jesus would go and teach in the outer courts of the temple. So Jesus and the disciples are literally just sitting there watching it happening, and Jesus turns to his disciples and gives them a play-by-play. -play and he's like, you see all those rich people putting their money in, which you and I, by the way, are the rich people because we're in the top 10% uh, in the world because we live in North America. Anyways, he says, you see all those rich people giving like those like measured out little things that they would put over here and over here, over here. You see that? Yeah, I see that. That's nice, but what's amazing is that this woman who's got two coins literally just went in and put two coins in. He said, that, that is to be celebrated. That is great faith. She will be blessed. The incredible thing about God using a tithe or tenth is that it's 10%, the idea of 10% of our income, is that it's equal for everybody no matter where we come from. It's equal for everybody. You go, oh, well, this is just about big money people. This is not about big money people. I can tell you this. I can tell you this confidently. Our church has never been built on big money people. Our church has been built on 
each and every one of us contributing into the kingdom of God to build something, to see something that could affect change in our community, in our region, in our city, in our neighborhoods, on our blocks, in our streets with our neighbors. And we understand that as we invest into the church, we're investing into the kingdom of God, which means we're investing into eternity because lives are being changed, lives are being transformed. We've had over 40 decisions in the last, uh, I guess it's seven weeks now, stemming back to the 24th, which is amazing, but that means it takes money to reach some. Some of those people. And you're like, I don't like that you're talking about money in such bare terms. Can't we dress it up into some spiritual ideology or language? No. Here's what Jesus wants. He says, if you want to be blessed, let me into your life. This is me paraphrasing Malachi 3. If you want to be blessed, if you want to get close to me, then draw close to me. Well, how do we draw close to you? You stop robbing from me. God, I didn't know I was robbing from you. That's fine. I'm going to explain it to you. Bring your tithes into the storehouse, which is the place that you're being fed, which is right here. We're feeding you with spiritual knowledge. We're giving you an opportunity to serve and grow and develop and reach other people in this community. If you want to draw near to me, then give me this one area. Well, God, why do you want this one area? Because I really like this one area and I don't think you should touch it because I don't know if I can trust you with it and the reality is that's exactly why Jesus asked for it because in Matthew 6 21 later in this exact portion of scripture he says wherever your treasure is there the desires of your heart will also be the reason Jesus is talking about money the reason scripture talks about money is because where are money is is where our heart is simple as that where our money is is where our heart is billy graham the greatest evangelist of our time our age says this a checkbook is a theological document and it will tell you who and what you worship just get mad at billy graham for that one it tells you who and what you worship all right. I want to just bring our attention before we just move on. I want to bring our attention to this one line in Malachi chapter 3. He says this in verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this and see if I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough, that there will not be room enough to store it. Test me in this. In no other place in scripture will you find the Lord saying, test me in this. In fact, you will find that when Jesus was taken into the desert, he said the exact opposite. He says, you must not test the Lord your God. He got that from Deuteronomy 6.16, which actually related back to Exodus 17 when they were the Israelites were in the desert and God led them into freedom, out of slavery, out of captivity, and they thought God had no plan and they got so angry at God because they thought they were thirsty that they demanded that Moses provided them a drink so Moses struck a rock and water came out. And they were happy, but God was not happy. He said, stop testing me, stop, start trusting me. Stop testing me, start trusting me, except in this. Why is this okay to test God? Why? Because as we test God in this, we're actually trusting God. The test is trust. We're investing our trust. We're investing our heart. We're investing our whole heart. We're investing our finances. We're investing those things because we're trusting that God is going to come and break through in our lives. Now, here's a common myth, okay? The myth is if I make more money, I will give more money. Common myth. 
If you break out income brackets, those that made under $25,000 a year in Canada actually gave 7.7% of their income. Just not Christians, just basic bare bones numbers, okay? If you made under $25,000 a year, you gave 7.7% of your income. That's incredibly generous, I think. For somebody who has no biblical reason to give, that's an incredibly generous posture of under $25,000. For those that were made between $25,000 and $50,000, they gave 4.8%. Those that made fifty dollars to $75,000 gave 3.5%. Those that made seventy-five dollars to $100,000 gave 3%. Those that made $100,000 to $200,000 gave 2.6%. And then we see a slight increase for those who made 200,000 plus gave 2.8%. So you think that if you make more money that you're going to be more generous, but the reality is the more money you make, the more you like money. <laughs> or you've got other things that you need to invest it in and spend it in. So if you don't live a principled life, then it just kind of slips away. Haley, why don't you come up here? We're going to, I just want to show you what this looks like. I'm going to make some space here. Nobody spill this later. Rebecca? Anyone like pie? Anyone like lemon meringue pie? Any, any, any pie people in the house? We're trying to open it. We're just at that stage right now. So generally what happens, Haley, if you could be a human mic stand for one minute, that would be amazing. Generally what happens is that when we look at our finances, we look at our future, we just got it, we kind of start looking at uh, how we're going to cut up our income. And we look at the bills, we got, this is not going to work. We look at the bills we got to pay, we look at the car payment on that flashy new Honda CRV. Let somebody just get one recently? Uh, And we start breaking down our, our income, you know, basic budget. And we're like, okay, well, clearly, oh, I should probably use scoop the actual pie. Clearly, the first thing that we need to do is uh, pay our mortgage. So that's a thing. And I'm a terrible pie server. Except just come and start pa passing that pie up. So we paid our mortgage, and then <laughs> then you got to pay for those children's activities because whose kids are in way too many activities, and you got to pay for those. And then you look at it, and you got to pay out, uh, you know, the car payments. Actually, hold on, this one's for. Uh, somebody, you gotta actually. There's two pieces of the pie because, yeah, you bought too many nice cars, and so no, it's not for anyone specific. Please stop naming names, and uh, that's that's two pieces. And then we, you know, like we're like, oh, okay, uh, you know what sounds awesome is a vacation, so we start giving to a vacation. I'm making such a mess. <laughs> and then we start, you know, we start giving to. Uh, <clears throat> Not giving, we start paying off the water and the utility and the direct energy and EPCOR, garbage collection, Spruce Grove, so you get a nice black bin. Then you pay your property taxes. So everyone got some cake, pie, whatever this is. 
And then we go, oh, you know what? You know what was incredible is that we've, 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 we've got a great life. Things are going well. We were able to, to give and pay into every area that we're interested in. And we, and we did that. We're like, oh, you know what we need to do is we need to, we need to give. We need to give to God. We need to give to church. We need to invest in eternity. And we, and we live these incredible lives. And, and we, we have a great future and a great destiny. But we end up going, okay, it's time to give to God. And then we just realize that the only thing that's left is the crumbs in the tin. Because there's so much pie that we had to give out that we gave what we could and left God with the leftovers, not even sweet lemon meringue filling. Seb ate it all. (laughs) But God isn't satisfied with being our leftovers. He made it perfectly clear. He wants to bless you financially, and he wants to grow you at the same time. Proverbs 11, uh, 24 to 25 says, The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. He gets very clear. If you bless others, he's going to bless you. The same uh, passage in a more classical translation says, If you refresh others, he will refresh you. You remember in 2 Corinthians 6, he also says that God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Jesus wants to work in your life. He wants to bless you because you're investing back into eternity. He wants you to live a blessed life here on this earth. And he also wants you to live a blessed life into eternity by investing into eternal things. Now, he wants to do this by taking our heart. He says, what does this have to do with me getting closer to God? Our money is where our heart is. And what he really wants is our heart. And so he will use any means necessary to get at the core of who we are, to draw us in even closer. You know, you want to know how to fight the devil. It says, resist the devil, he will flee from you. But before that, it says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. If you want to resist the devil, you draw near to God. You draw near to God by giving him your whole heart. And part of that is by realigning and prioritizing our finances to to the kingdom of God. If you become a a caretaker of God's kingdom, he will become a caretaker of your kingdom. If you become a caretaker of God's kingdom, he will become a caretaker of your kingdom. No amens whatsoever. That's totally fine. Here he is. But we don't like this one because it's like feels like I'm putting my hand in your pocket. Again, I don't want something from you. I want something for you. It was not me who says, test me and I will bless you. I, I cannot bless you. I mean, I can bless you with pie. I can use the, the gifts, talents, and abilities that he's given me to bless you. I can even give you a, a monetary blessing of a certain size, not, not what you want. <laughs> But God says, listen, test me in this because when you bring your heart to me, I draw near to you. And when I get involved, everything changes. When I get involved, everything changes. Now, very quickly, there's a principle at work here. It's called the principle of first fruits. And it helps us figure out how to divide the pie. Uh, Psalm 24.1. We need to start with this understanding first. Bible. What it actually says is, 
The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So we need to start from the understanding that everything is God's. Last week we talked about this, understand, this, this other biblical principle of what's called common grace found in Matthew 5, verse 45. Common grace says uh, in Matthew 5, 45, it says that the, the sun rises and the rain pours. Why? Because of the love of God. Because God put this world into existence. He set the motion. In, there we go. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it is the Lord and all its people belong to him. If we look at Matthew 5.45, it, it talks about uh, how the world continues to work. Because when our relationship with God breaks down, everything breaks down. In, the, in, in uh, Eden, our relationship with God broke down, but he did not stop common grace. Which meant he let his creation continue to function, continue to move. Every time we wake up in the morning and we quote lamentations and we say that uh, great is thy faithfulness. His mercy is new every morning. Every time we quote that and we breathe in the breath of air, you're actually breathing in the breath of God because that very breath comes from God himself just like the dust of the earth and the wood and the trees and the air and the sun the moon the stars and the sky it all comes from God it's all his it all started with him it all continues because of him when we were talking about hell we were talking about that when you are in hell you are separated from God which means the common grace is lifted therefore you are uh, without and you are void of everything good that God created you're void you're without everything bad that God created you are void you are with out God. And so we start with the understanding that everything is God's anyways, which is why we use the language that we bring our tithes, because all that we have is his anyways. We don't give it, we bring it. Because it's all his anyways. So we're just bringing it back. And the incredible generosity of God says, hey, if you bring 10%, watch what I can do with your 90. And this is Beginning to be the principles of first fruit. Uh, Proverbs 3, verse 9. Proverbs 3, verse 9. Maybe. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. So the principle here is that when we bring our tithe to God, when we bring our finances to God, we bring the first. We bring the first 10%. That's why we have the tithely giving out. That's why I love tithely. Because I get to give the moment that I get paid, I actually give. Whatever that direct deposit comes into my bank account, I wake up that morning, I see that there's money there, and I just give in that moment. And we begin to re redistribute and reprioritize our lives based around the principle of God that God says, bring the tithe into the storehouse and give me the first fruits. What's interesting about this when it says, honor the Lord with, the, the, with your wealth and with your first fruits, three verses earlier, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. We cannot disconnect our, what we will term generosity, with trust. In fact, it could be said that trust starts at 10. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. In case you just wanted the nice, fluffy Jesus, we'll go to him. No one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Later, just a few verses later in Matthew 6, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he will give you everything you need. You put God first. Now, what does our pie look like, Haley? What does our pie look like? When we live this principle, I think a second pie is in order to demonstrate 
because everybody, what do we have here today? We have, uh, this is a banana cream, which just speaks to the creamy goodness of God, um, the sweetness of his presence, if you would, and the potassium to get rid of that lactic acid. Okay. So, with the print, Seb, you're kind of in my set line here. Uh, maybe, hey, he's eating the crumbs from the last one. The crumbs are not enough for the Lord, but they're all right for Seb. Okay. So basically, the principle of the first fruit is quite simple. I get my pie. I say, before I go and buy a new pink sweater, nope, struggling. I'm going to give the Lord, this goes to Brennan Paulson, who represents Jesus here today. I give the Lord the first. Because instead of having him live off the crumbs, I said, Jesus, I trust you with everything. As a representation of how much I trust you, I'm going to give you the first because I believe that you said that I can trust you in this. And then when I open up this area, I'm actually opening up my heart. So I'm not only opening myself up to a financial blessing because that principle is true, but I'm opening myself up to a heart blessing. And you're like, what is a heart blessing? Well, Psalm says that from the heart flows life. It flows life. Everything flows from the heart. And so when I open up my heart by trusting in God, by giving him first, I'm putting Jesus first. I'm prioritizing him first. I'm just following his scripture and, and, and trusting. We should probably just serve that now if you just want to cut that up and serve it. Uh, who, anyone want banana cream? Uh, perfect. Uh, when you give today, you'll get a banana cream pie. Just kidding. That's, that's the worst. That's the worst. I did that and I ruined this whole thing. It's fine. But when we trust God with some of our heart and we allow him in to work on some of us, what happens? He miraculously works on the areas that we allow him into. But he leaves the rest. Because God is also a gentleman. He does not force himself upon you. So he will only come, which is why in Scripture there's always this picture of God, Jesus, standing at the door knocking, knocking on areas of our heart, areas of our life, because we're reluctant to give him those things that we like or we feel like we need or things that help us feel powerful. And money helps us feel powerful because we feel like we control our destiny. Or at times it makes us feel weak because God, we say, how come we can't do anything you've called us to because we don't have what we need to do it. And he says, you might not have it, but I do. Trust me. Put me first and watch what I can do. God can do more with my 90% than I could do with my 100%. While they're serving the pie and Brendan comes up, the band can come up, play some sweet, sweet vibes with, while not kicking over my coffee. When we, we started the church, this January is our five-year anniversary. I can't even believe it, five years. Thank you, the three people that clapped. You're also probably the three people that were there at the theater uh, when we started. It was rough days, rough days, and uh, <clears throat> uncomfortable for everybody. Uh, but when we started in our, the end of our second year, before we got this space, the movie theater let us know that we needed to get out and get out like in weeks. 
And we're like, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? We've got to find a place. Some of you maybe heard this story. But miraculously, through a crazy series of events, we ended up getting this building and taking over this charitable organization and getting blessed with every uh, asset that they had. And it was incredible. But before that, we were trying to go to this warehouse, and I got in a big fight with the city. But we did this offering, first ever heart for the house offering. And we had a goal of $10,000 because that's what it was going to take to get us out of, to get things started, pay for some permits to fight the city on zoning, buy some screens, this screen from that, buy some things, just natural things to help us move out of a movie theater with everything to building with nothing. And so I can remember as clear, as clear as yesterday, I was driving, driving to the movie theater, it was the day of our Heart for the House offering. I had done sound for conferences, and I picked up all these side jobs along the way so that we could give a good offering, give a generous offering. I said, God, I want to I I just give generously. And I did everything that I could in my natural ability to give something what I felt was good. But that Sunday morning come, I'll be really transparent with you, that Sunday morning come, absolutely none of those jobs had paid me. Zero. I had, we had $173 in our bank account total. We had to take out a family to lunch after church. And I said, God, what do you want me to do here? Like, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to give $100. I will give you $10,000. And I'm driving my car, and I start laughing. Because I'm like, okay, me of great faith here. Okay, you'll give me $10,000. Okay, sure, Lord. All right, we'll trust you. Wonderful, yeah. How does that even happen? You hear these stories. How does that happen? Okay, God. I did it. Took the family out for like fifty some dollars. Had a little bit left. Then those checks started coming. Finally, thank God we could feed the kids, which is nice. And that day we brought in almost six thousand dollars, which is for a group of forty people was unbelievable. I was like, I was crying, like, God. But it wasn't ten thousand. I didn't even care at that point. I'm like, all right, God, you're just clearly using figurative numbers. It's totally fine. I get it. It's cool. We're driving before the distracted driving laws came into effect. Constable. Uh, On the yellow head, and I just happened to be checking my email. True story. I opened my email on Highway 16, Yellowhead, heading back to Spruce Grove on the Thursday after that Sunday. And it was from a pastor in Edmonton, Pastor Bassett of Bunny Life. Hi, Brett. Hope your offering went well. Keep in mind, just so you know, Eve gave us our first thousand dollars for our sound system we still use in back in kids' ministry. He said, Brett, we've been praying as a church and we decided that we're going to sow into you five thousand dollars. 
and I just start messy crying. I, I, I don't wear mascara, but I had some that day, apparently. <laughs> and Dez is crying, and I'm crying. I'm trying to keep things on the road, and I check Twitter again. Uh, it was... <laughs> Maybe something would come on Twitter, too. Uh, and I was overwhelmed by the goodness of God because he didn't just give 10000 He gave 11000 He gave more. And all I had to do was simply obey him. Now, this wasn't even my time. This was just an offering. This was just like, okay, God, what do you want me to give? Because Scripture says in 1 Samuel 15, don't forget this portion of Scripture that obedience is better than sacrifice. So sometimes there's actually people in circles that give sacrificially to try and extract a greater blessing from God when God didn't ask you to give in that manner. So all you're trying to do is game the system to extract extra finances. But God says, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. Obedience is better than sacrifice. So if he calls you to a sacrificial gift, then you give it you understand that God's going to take care of it and he's going to take care of you. If you do it to try and vote, uh, to provoke a blessing, God is not a cosmic slot machine. You don't just give sacrificially and say, look God, I'm just going to give of my whole heart because then you know what you're doing? You're just giving you to make you feel good, to get something better for you, not trying to give it to him for his glory. You're trying to say, come on Jesus, come on Jesus, come on, give me the three cherries. Give me the three cherries. Release the finances from heaven. You can't game the system of God because it's not actually about your money. It's about your heart. Yeah. And if you try and game it, you've just exposed your heart. Yeah.